So let's look at verse 1 here, because like I said, it's a very long chapter. Notice, now Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes of the chief fathers of the children of Israel to King Solomon in Jerusalem, that they might bring up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from the city of David, which is in Zion. And remember, I said it before, the Ark of the Covenant is the, is the centerpiece of this temple. In fact, it was built for this piece of furniture. Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher Rob Kellogg. Solomon intended this to be the spectacular opening ceremony for the temple. It was probably on the scale of a large production in our modern Olympic Games opening ceremonies. The temple wasn't ready to operate until the Ark of the Covenant was set in the most holy place. The Ark was the most important item in the temple. The Ark of the Covenant was the representation of the very presence of God and His Shekinah glory upon the temple and the nation of Israel. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he begins chapter 8 in the book of 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 8, like I said, a very lengthy chapter, but we looked, remember, at uh, chapter 7 last week. It was a fairly lengthy chapter as well. Just speaking of the preparations for the temple and the buildings of the temple, and not only was it uh, building the temple itself, but there were also, remember, many other buildings, including Solomon's own palace, that were built, and, um, and they were all part of a compound there in the, uh, just to the, the west of the, what you and I would call the Temple Mount. And, um, and so we looked at that, and uh, tonight, and we are going to look at chapter 8. And, you know, after all of these things are in the temple, you know, we've got the, the temple proper itself, and certainly the priests were all ready to go, and, but yet there was one piece that was missing. The most important piece was the Ark of the Covenant. It was the Ark of the Covenant. And so David, or excuse me, Solomon now, is going to bring that Ark of the Covenant finally into this new temple that he has built and he's going to not only um, bring it into the temple, he's going to, um, he's going to be praying, uh, in, in, uh, like a, a prophetic prayer actually, and I think you'll see that as we go along, he prays over this, this uh, event of bringing the, the temple and, and finally bringing the Ark of the Covenant in it and beginning their times of worship. And so Solomon is going to spend some time in prayer, and it's going to be prophetic, and he's going to dedicate the temple. He's going to bless the assembly, and he's also going to dedicate the temple by offering several thousands of sheep and bulls. And it's going to be something that, if we were to see that the dedication, the, the ribbon cutting, if you will, of the temple, most of us would be put off. Because what we would see is a lot of blood. 
Seriously, I think it was like, I forget how many, we'll, we'll see it when we get, but like 132,000 sheep or something like that, and several thousand oxen, I believe. And so we're talking, and in fact, he had the, the altar itself, the great altar that was there in the court was not big enough to handle, so he had to consecrate the inner, the middle court and erect another altar or have another makeshift altar to handle all of the sacrifices. So this was something that you and I would probably not want to go to. It's not like some kind of uh, gala ball. And such is the, the, the state of man. You know, we're always looking at the externals and we, we fail to remember that it's, there is no forgiveness except by the shedding of blood. And that is at the center of a temple. A temple is designed to have sacrifices done in it. That's what a temple is. It's a place where worship is offered, where death occurs. And certainly in the Jewish temple, it was substitutionary. All of these things that we're looking at now are going to be foreshadowing of ultimately Jesus Christ. The temple itself and the decorations and the beauty internally of the temple speaks in many ways of Jesus, our Savior, but also in, in the sacrifices and all of those things that had to be done daily and, and, and you know, many times, you know, just daily, year by year, week by week, month by month, the same thing. But then finally, all of this was a foreshadowing of when Jesus would go to the cross and die once, the Bible says. He died once for sins. There's no more need for sacrificial animals. He died once because his sacrifice was perfect. He was the perfect Lamb of God, God come in human flesh. God, the very blood of God was shed and only could be shed to take away our sins. And all we have to do is simply believe in what he did and trust in his saving grace for what he has done. And the Bible says if we believe in that, we will be saved. And see, that's the message that everybody needs to, to hear. And that's why we are very glad to have it. So let's look at verse 1 here, because like I said, it's a very long chapter. Notice, now Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes of the chief fathers of the children of Israel to King Solomon in Jerusalem that they might bring up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from the city of David, which is in Zion. And remember, I said it before, the Ark of the Covenant is the, is the centerpiece of this temple. In fact, it was built for this piece of furniture. This ark represented the very presence of God. And God, when it was in the temple, he would actually, and as we will see, his Shekinah glory will rest upon it. And he will meet them at the mercy seat. He says, I'll meet you underneath the cherubim. He's going to meet us there. He's going to meet them there. Because that's where blood is offered on that mercy seat. And that's the only thing that God can see. He sees the blood that was poured out for his people. And therefore, he can accept them. But notice, in the tabernacle, it was the only piece of furniture in the Holy of Holies, um, in, in the tabernacle, that is. But now, in Solomon's temple, there were three articles in the Holy of Holies. We certainly had the Ark of the Covenant, but remember, we now have these two 15-foot cherubim that were made out of olive wood, um, overlaid with gold, looking in, or their wings spanning over the Ark of the Covenant. And on top of the, co uh, the Ark of the Covenant, remember, on the mercy seat, the the, the top of that, it was also two cherubim looking down on the blood that the high priest would offer on the Day of Atonement, looking down upon the blood. 
And so this idea of the Ark of the Covenant is a, is a really huge deal. And I wanted to briefly share with you just uh, the history of the movement of the Ark. And, and we're going to go through this very quickly. But I think if you listen to the recording again, you're probably not going to get it all right now. But you, you, if you, unless you can write lickety-split, you know, if you're Quicksilver, maybe you could do it. But um, just a quick understanding of where the Ark came from. Because uh, we're going to be tracking the Ark throughout Kings and we're going to find where it finally it goes missing. And even to this day, we really don't know where it is. But let's start with from the very beginning, because the Ark of the Covenant we know was created or made in Exodus chapter 25, 25 verse 10, and is, um, and is with the children of Israel throughout their 40-year desert wandering, right, in, in the tabernacle. And then we find out in Joshua chapter 18 that when they finally came into the promised land, Joshua and the children of Israel, that they parked in Shiloh, and there is where the ark and the tabernacle was, and it remained there for hundreds of years. And then go fast forward several hundred years now into just before David's time that the it was taken from Shiloh. Remember in 1 Samuel 4, when they were going to battle against the Philistines, the children of Israel, unfortunately, they began to look at the Ark of the Covenant as some kind of rabbit's foot, some kind of talisman for good luck. And God was not going to have anything to do with that. And, and it's so typical of human nature to look at the thing that God created rather than look at the God who created it. It's one of our weaknesses as human beings. We can we much rather uh, worship a very fine Italian sports car, but we forget that there's a God who, you know, who's much more grand than anything that we can see. Even if it was solid gold and tuned up just nice, it doesn't matter. We worship Him. We don't worship the things of that He's allowed or things that He's created. But they did that, and God allowed their ark to be taken from them by the Philistines. So the, the the children of Israel take the ark out of the temple or out of the tabernacle, excuse me, in Shiloh. They bring it to Ebenezer, where they are ultimately beat by the Philistines. The Philistines take the ark into their possession, and now they take it to Ashdod into their temple of Dagon. And you remember what happens there. The ark stands before Dagon. And the, the thing falls down, and the, the pieces of it break, and finally uh, the, the town starts breaking out in uh, really, let me just be honest with you, hemorrhoids, emeralds, they call them, and plagues, because God was judging them for stealing the ark. And so they move the ark from Ashdod, their main center of, of the Philistines. They take it now to another Philistine city, to Gath. Same thing happens there in 1 Samuel 5, verse 8. Then they finally take it to Ekron. People are still getting the same kind of things. It's spreading like wildfire. And, and now they've got this hot potato of an ark they don't know what to do with. So they send it to Ekron. And then finally, they, they, the ark was in the country of the Philistines for about seven months. And then they take, they finally have had enough of it because they're all sore and sick. So they put the ark on a cart of uh, a new cart of a yoke of cows, and they send it off to the men of Beth Shemesh with golden mice and golden tumors as offerings, hoping to somehow appease the God who did this to them, not realizing that it had nothing to do with mice or their hemorrhoids or anything like that. Uh, but that's what they did because they're pagans. <laughs> and so... The ark is sent from there. Um, the men look inside the, of Beth Shemesh. They look inside the ark. They, they die. God judges them on the spot. And so the ark is then sent to Kirjath Jerim, where it remains in the house of Abinadab for about 20 years. That's about in 1 Samuel chapter 7, first two verses. 
And then finally, David comes into his reign and he retrieves the ark from Abinadab's house where it had been for 20 years. David attempts to bring the ark, remember, on a new cart. It's recorded for us in 2 Samuel 6, resulting in the death of Uzzah because he tried to touch the ark when the oxen stumbled and the Lord smote him. And so they took the ark from there and they put it into the house of Obed-Edom, who was a Gittite, who was actually a native of Gath, one of the Philistine cities. They put it into his house because it was nearby. And it was there for three months. And David scratching his head trying to figure out, Lord, what's, what's wrong with this picture? What did we do wrong? Finally, David understands. In First Chronicles 15, it tells us why God smote Uzzah, because they weren't to drive on a new cart. He let the Philistines get away with it, but not the Jews. They knew better, because the the Levites were supposed to carry it on poles, and now they're trying to do it like the Philistines did, and God's not going to let them get away with it. So finally, they do the right thing. They bring it into Jerusalem, into the tabernacle that David had made for it now, And so finally, the ark moves uh, from Zion, and and that's where we're at right now. It moves from Zion, this area, just the southeast of the Temple Mount today. They've actually uncovered it over the last 10 years, and you can visit where David's palace was, and you can visit all those things if you go to Israel, and it's, it's quite an amazing thing. But the Ark of the Covenant and the tabernacle was somewhere on that little sliver of land. And we, we, we visit that. You, you go and you walk around and you see David's, where he lived in, in these areas. That they can still, there's remnants of this stuff that you can still see. And so now, going back here, you know, um, Solomon builds the temple. He says, okay, now it's time. It's time to... Uh, to take the temple or take the uh, articles of the temple and the Ark of the Covenant and bring them into this new temple that we have built. And so that's where we are at. And so um, let's look at verse 2 now. So he says, Therefore all the men of Israel assembled with King Solomon at the feast uh, in the month of Ethanim, which is the seventh month. Now, for those of you who may not know, this month is uh, actually called Tishri. It's the seventh month. Uh, Ethanim means enduring or ever-flowing, speaking of the rivers in the, um, in the area. But this dedication that we are now seeing was postponed for about 11 months. Postponed by 11 months. And, and now they're going to dedicate it on the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 38, remember, it says this. It says, In the 11th year, in the month of Bull, which is the 8th month, the house was finished in all of its details. So now we're in the 7th month. So we're, you see what's happening now. There's been a whole 11 months, and they've had the thing done, and now they're waiting until the Feast of Tabernacles. And how fitting that they would do it on the Feast of Tabernacles. Somewhere in around September, October time frame. The Feast of Tabernacles, remember, was the time, it was a commemoration of God's faithfulness to the children of Israel while they were going through the desert those 40 years, how he provided for them, for their food and their clothing and their shelter. And so the Tabernacles is literally little huts, and so that's what they would do. They would build huts, and they even at that time, they would, they would live in huts. And even today, they do the same thing, except they have satellite hookups where they, hook, they can bring in their flat screen TVs. Um, and they do the same thing even today. But a seven-day feast, also called the Feast of Booths or the Feast of the Ingathering. 
But this timing of the building and the dedication of the building of the tabernacle at the Feast of Tabernacles is interesting, like I said before, because Solomon's temple, it prefigures Christ. It prefigures Christ, and it also prefigures looking forward, actually, to his millennial reign yet in the future to us, in the millennial reign, the thousand-year reign of Christ, because there's going to be another temple that's going to be built that's going to be much bigger than Solomon's temple. It's going to be much bigger than Herod's temple, bigger than any temple that we've seen thus far in Israel's history. Jesus is going to build a temple. And the outline, the blueprint for it, is given to us in the Bible. And this is, not the, this is not the temple that the Jews are hoping to build right now. The temple they're trying to build right now is going to be for the Antichrist. They don't, they don't know that or they don't believe that. But that temple is meaningless. The one that's next, that's on God's calendar, is the one that he makes. And it's huge. It's a very large complex. Again, and if you want the blueprints of that, and if you want to build it here in Penfield, look at uh, uh, Ezekiel chapter 40 through 47, roughly, you'll see the blueprint of that. So now in verse 3, it says, All the elders of Israel came, and the priests took up the ark, and then they brought up the ark of the Lord, the tabernacle of meeting, and all the holy furnishings that were in the tabernacle. The priests and the Levites brought them up. Notice, they learned a good lesson. Solomon certainly knew about this incident with David when he first tried to bring the ark of the covenant in, and he wasn't going to make that mistake again, And so, which is a good thing. Whenever we make mistakes, pray to God that everyone around you is learning from your mistakes. Because if we can do that, if we can learn from each other's mistake, we'll, we'll be getting along much further and we won't be suffering so many consequences of, of disobedience and sin in our lives. But notice, also King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel who were assembled with him or with him before the ark, sacrificing sheep and oxen that could not be numbered or counted for multitude. And then the priests brought in the ark of the covenant of the Lord to its place into the inner sanctuary of the temple, which is the holy of holies. We looked at that last week, remember? We looked at the model of of Solomon's temple and how large it was. It was roughly about twice the size of the tabernacle. And some of the furnishings on the inside were doubled up, like the the lampstands. The lampstands were doubled. And the lavers outside and the, and the, the basins, they were, they were doubled as well and, and, and actually doubled over many times. But then the priests brought in the Ark of the Covenant to the Lord to its place in the inner sanctuary of the temple to the most holy place. Notice, under the wings of the cherubim. For the cherubim spread their two wings over the place of the Ark, and the cherubim overshadowed the Ark and its poles. Overshadowed its poles. And then the poles extended so that the ends of the poles could be seen from the holy place in front of the inner sanctuary, but they could not be seen from the outside, and there they are to this day. And nothing was in the ark except the two two tablets of stone which Moses put there at Horeb when the Lord made a covenant with the children of Israel when they came out of the land of Egypt. Now, in Hebrews 9, it says something really interesting, and, and this is really not a, a big deal, but you're, you'll probably stumble across it, and it's worth looking at. In Hebrews 9, verse 4, it's speaking of um, certainly Jesus being um, greater than any of those things. The author speaks of, he says, which had the golden censer, speaking of the, the temple, 
and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid on all sides with gold, in which were the golden pot that had the manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. Now, um, the Bible tells us at this time, at least, the only two articles that were in there were those two tablets. So at some point, these other articles were either taken out or, or something, but um, you know, for the omer of a manna that was in it at some time, you can see that in Exodus chapter 16, verse 33. It speaks of the, the omer of manna that they put in there as a memorial for how God had provided the manna when they were hungry in the desert. So it was sort of set up in memorial you know, literally, it's like, thank you, God, for what you did. And it was a reminder to them. And also Aaron's rod that budded. Uh, you can look at that in Numbers 17, the first 10 verses. It talks all about that. But let's go on in verse 10 here. And it says, And it came to pass, when the priest came out of the holy place, that the cloud filled the house of the Lord. The cloud filled the house of the Lord. And we believe this is to be the Shekinah glory uh, which is God's representation of himself, that he was present with his people. Later on in Israel's history, just before the Babylonian siege and destruction of Jerusalem in 586, the glory of the Lord departed from the temple. So all this time from Solomon's, when this thing was dedicated, the glory of God was in that holy place and filled the temple. Up until right before the Babylonian invasion. And God had warned, remember, repeatedly the people of Judah and Jerusalem about their idolatry. And they would not turn. They would not repent. And so God, and, and it tells us, and you might want to just write these verses down. And In fact, um, I'll just read them to you quickly because this is significant because this is sort of like that they're losing their bearings. They're losing the very reason that they have this temple was the very presence of God himself. Not even so much the ark itself, but God's presence with them. And isn't it true for us today that if, if God doesn't go before us, then we don't want to go. Didn't Moses say that? Lord, if you're not going to go before us, we don't want to go. But if you're going to go, then we'll follow you. And really, that needs to be our same heart attitude today. God, if you're not with me, I don't want to go. I really don't want to go. Even if, I, even if I, it seems like I failed, as long as you're with me, I can deal with that. As long as I have an assurance that you're with me and you're teaching me something, because just because God's with me all the time doesn't mean I'm not going to go through experiences where he's got to show me something about myself. And maybe he's going to do something that I didn't think about. Because we're so goal-oriented. We're always thinking about how can I get to point A to point B the quickest, the best way, and the least amount of money <laughs> and get the job done even better than the next guy. You know, that's our mentality. And God's like, you know, I'm going to use you, but it's not going to be quite the way you think. Can you be content with that? Can you be content with only doing about that much and, I, and somebody else doing that much? Can you, can you get by with that? I could use you to do the whole thing, but would, are you going to be upset if I just use you for this part? Are you content? Are you willing to do that and somebody else do this? And and it's good for us to be, say, yes, Lord. That's the proper thing to say to the Lord. Yes, Lord. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 1 Kings. 
Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as our location, service times, information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, and information regarding Bread of Life Academy, our new school opening in the fall of 2023. Just click the school link at the top of the page for more information. Additionally, you may also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's Sanctuary Messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play Podcast or Apple Podcast. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.